I'm Elnaz. And I'm Matt. You're listening to Unorthodox Middle Easterners. Together with our guests, we share untold stories of the Middle East. Hi, Mert. Hi, Elnaz. You're finally doing this. Absolutely. I am so excited. Me too. All right. First thing first, shall we introduce ourselves? Yes, please. You go first. Okay. Okay. So my name is Alnaz. I was born in Iran. Iran is in the Middle East. It's sandwiched between Iraq and Afghanistan, two countries that have been invaded by the United States for being the nest of Islamic terrorism. Iran also shares a border with Pakistan, a country in which Osama bin Laden was finally killed by a U.S. drone. I am, as they say, a child of a revolution, meaning I was born one year after the Islamic Revolution of 1979, which brought the Islamic Republic of Iran to the power. I grew up uh, in Iran. I went through the school system, immersed in Islamic values. Um, I was born to a middle-class family. My mother was a teacher. My dad owned a small business. They were not very religious. My dad... Um, said that when he was a child, he has said enough prayers that are suffice for the rest of his life. So (laughs) he literally didn't say any prayers. My mom went on and off religion. Um, You know, sometimes she said prayers, sometimes she didn't. And they are both educated. They have bachelor degrees. They went to college. They are both engineers. And my grandmothers were, on the other hand, kind of religious. But my mother's mother used to drink wine every night. He said, she said it was good for your health. <laughs> <laughs> no one can doubt that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I grew up in Islamic Republic and, you know, they, they really tried to close Iran to outside contact. They, they banned music, most of music, except like some traditional stuff. It was banned. Um, movies were banned. They they expelled any teachers or university professors that not identify with their beliefs, and they censored books. But people always found a way, and there was black markets to access other things. For example, movies, which was kind of my window to the outside world. Um, there was I remember when I was a middle schooler, there was this this guy who visited our house every other week with a black Samsonite. And his Samsonite was full of VHS videos. It was recordings of Hollywood movies or MTV shows. And he would rent us between four or five VHS every for every two weeks for something maybe about like half a dollar at the time with the price. And that way uh, I got to use to see a bunch of movies. I remember some of my favorite just Terminator, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and and Carmen on Ice. So I had this little window to the outside world despite growing growing up inside Iran. I studied uh, in Iran. I went to one of the best universities, which is kind of like MIT of Iran. I got an engineering degree. I co-founded a software company, worked there for five years, got married, and finally moved out of Iran to the United States. Um, I'd say I was almost 30 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And now I live in Bay Area in California, and I've worked in tech companies, including 
one of the big five. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, let's let's pause here, and I want to give you a chance, Nerd, to to introduce yourself as well. Oh, absolutely! Thank you. So, thank you so much for uh, telling us about your story, Elmas. So, my name is Mert. I was born in the oil-rich diversity of Kirkuk in Iraq, uh, in the in a middle-class educated family with parents from two different ethnic minorities and religious backgrounds. Uh, I grew up under Saddam Hussein's dictatorship in a system pretty much uh, the same with North Korea today. So isolated, uh, unironically, we were always uh, taught in the school system that the entire world hated us because uh, they were jealous of how great we were and how great Iraq as a country was. And this was when more than most of the people in the country lived under the poverty line. Uh, I, I always like to say, like jokingly, I had four wars and a civil war on my resume before I was 20. My biggest luck was growing up with open-minded parents who created a safe bubble for us uh, as a form of protection from the turbulent outside world. So I was a college student in Iraq during the fall of Saddam Hussein regime in 2003, and I had a first-hand experience seeing the rise of religious and ethnic violence as a college student and as a part of the Iraqi Turkic or the Turkmen community, which is one of very few unarmed uh, ethnic groups in Iraq alongside with the ancient Iraqi Christian community. So mm-hmm. My family took uh, the safe route, you know, uh, after the war and after the instability and after having direct threat to uh, my family and my parents <clears throat> by sending me to Turkey uh, for grad school when I was 21 and uh, being close culturally, language-wise, so that was Turkey was the natural destination to be. And uh, I studied and worked there for eight years, and it was a life-changing experience after growing up in a very uh, closed country, as I said, like in Iraq, under dictatorship, uh, under Saddam Hussein. So I felt for the first time uh, in Turkey that my opinion matters, and I'm an equal individual with to everyone. And this experience gave me the urge to explore more, and uh, that's where I decided to come to the U.S. Uh, for my second master's. Uh, and I've been to the U.S. for about close to seven years, and since grad school, it has been an amazing ride living and learning in, in the U.S. Uh, I had many questions growing up about things that we were taught that I couldn't ask because, because of the political regime and social norms in Iraq. Uh, and absolutely, the greatest uh, opportunity that <clears throat> America gave me was the freedom of asking these questions and discussing these topics that w- I would not discuss uh, without being here. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. I really identify with both of the things you said, especially about like, you know, your opinion not mattering and you're being equal to everyone else. Um, I think they're really important issues and they lead to a lot of mental health things that maybe we we can get into deeper discussion later in our episodes. But I just want to briefly say that it's um, really interesting that, you know, this, this idea is somehow represented in the culture as well. I know a lot of um, people here might be familiar with Rumi or Hafez and they know them for great poets, um, because their poem is, uh, is elegant, but at the same time, they advertise a culture that sacrifices I for supposedly a greater good. 
And it's it's good if somebody wants to you know support greater good, but the only problem with that is I as an individual might not have a choice in that good that we're chosen for me in in type of societies that we lived. Yeah, and, absolutely. Like the societies and the way that you have to follow the norm and you have to follow what you've been taught. And if you question it too much, that is like an unacceptable behavior, which is it's complete opposite with what is in the U.S. Like you are taught to question and you are taught to think critically about most of the things around you. Exactly. So shall we talk about how we met and why we're doing this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I was, I always call like meeting you was part of the uh, my American experience, and uh, we were at a, a language-related social event when we sat on the same table and shortly realized that we share uh, like the same mother tongue, which is uh, Azerbaijani. And I grew up being uh, told that Iranians were like the enemy, and like since I left Iraq, most of my close friends and people I get along with have been Iranians. And like th- that was part of the, uh, as I mentioned, the closest, uh, the closed country, uh, the system of everyone hates us and like we are the best. And obviously because of the war between Iraq and, Ira- and Iran, uh, Iranians were uh, one of the targets in our history books, in our books, in our curriculums, alongside with Americans, Israelis, and like a bunch of other countries. And it was uh, very interesting how like uh, the moment we sat next to each other, we immediately connected, we started uh, mm-hmm. chatting and then uh, we stayed in touch i think we, we met a couple times outside and a couple of years ago i joined uh, one of the major tech companies in the bay area and uh, elnas you worked there and that was i think mm-hmm. when we were reconnected and we realized that we had much more in common than just you know speaking the language uh, and also both of our uh, grandparents uh, being from azerbaijan Right. Yes, yes, yes. I did not have any Iraqi friends at the time. And as you said, there was this eight year long war between Iran mm-hmm. and Iraq that, you know, it's, it's, it turns the other side to an enemy. Right. So um, for me, it you know, I, I never met an Iraqi, so I had no idea. But then, you know, we met at this table and you tell me your, your grandfather is from from Iran, from Azerbaijan, part of Iran, the, the northwestern part, which is my dad is from there, mm-hmm. and my my grandfather is from there, and we figured out, oh, our, our grandfathers probably lived fifty miles away from each other while we grew up in two different countries that felt like enemies. Absolutely. Um, and then when we reconnected, uh, I remember you telling me that um, because of your name, your previous name, not married, your name was like a very common um, name among, among Muslims. So when you came to work in the company, um, a, a company employee group reached out to you, a, a Muslim group reached out to you saying, hey, you want to join us? And you were so upset. I was like, yeah, my name's not indication of my religion. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I, I can so identify with this because this is something that happens to me too. Like, you know, I date, I have a boyfriend now. And um, last year, you know, I, I met to see their family for the first time. They're very kind inviting me for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And we've been dating for a few months at a time. So I only, you know, met his grandparents and parents for like a couple of times. And in the Thanksgiving dinner, they are having prayer before the dinner. His grandparents are Catholic and kind of religious. And part of the family is also Jew. So we are sitting at a table and they're like, 
oh, we are, you know, grateful to have, you know, people here. Mm -hmm. We're grateful to have food and grateful to have some diversity of like, there's, you know, Christians and Jews and Muslims. And I'm like, I never told you I'm a Muslim. <laughs> and that's the assumption that came because I'm from Iran and I, you know, I am kind of an atheist. So <laughs> it just like hard felt for me. So I think we were like, oh God, we are, um, so far from our countries for the reason that there's so much restrictions mm -hmm. and we are still being labeled as such. Yes, absolutely. Like it is the, the idea of like being fit in a box. So I, for example, it's, it's a very simple when a lot of people don't think about when you fill a form in the U S you choose uh, ethnicity or race as a part of any, most of the jobs that you apply for, or even like any type of like, you know, you are going to the doctor, they usually ask details about ethnicity and background uh, for, uh, uh, you know, like different purposes. And uh, it's like Middle Eastern is very ironic. It's like you have to choose white because you are part of that. Yeah. But on the same time, like you are really not. And like in, in real life, because of like obvious reasons and because of all the wars and terrorist attacks on the problems. So there is a lot of mm -hmm. boxing here. And I definitely uh, had multiple experiences when people just will assume that your background or like from your name or from where you were born, they will assume. And it's i have to say it's with good intention like when people try to especially yeah. in california when people try to come to you and be like if you are celebrating a specific day if there's like a eid or ramadan and they just like come and approach you to show their appreciation but it's just like it it, it feels interesting to be part right. of that yeah especially like you know they say something about ramadan and you're like okay but you know i really don't you know observe mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah um yeah. And as you said, it's all very good intentions. I'm, I'm sure like his grandfather was just wanted to make me feel included. Yeah. And I kind of like kind of make me alienated. But um, yeah, that is like, you know, uh, I used to do a lot of uh, trainings for international students who come to the U.S. And I would always tell them, don't get angry. Explain your perspective. Mm -hmm. So uh, and I use that. Uh, with myself when someone makes any assumptions or like someone tries to put you in a box or like they make you know most of the people's knowledge about our part of the world if they don't have a family connection with that part of the world or if they didn't study uh, about that part of the world is like through movies and there are like certain things that right. uh, stereotypes that they they know and they would ask you about it so like one of the things, like the flying carpet thing, I would always say, like, yeah, we use flying carpets, but the bad thing is, like, it doesn't have place <laughs> to put you, your suitcase on it. So, like, there are things that you, uh, like, you talk about it, and I feel like American society is one of the best places to open up and talk about this stuff from my experience. And, like, it's very interesting. I remember, like, we chatted uh, about American experience and how being individuals who spent their 20s in societies when we were never felt comfortable or belong. And uh, there were multiple conditions that made us feel that way uh, at our supposedly home countries. And these conditions were the main reason why we left that part of the world. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, these, like, uh, it's like, again, it is interesting or it's like very uh, sometimes frustrating that uh, these the people who or like the ideologies who created these conditions are the people who we have to identify ourselves with in the U.S. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's that feels sad, but that's the reality. And I think that's that's why we are doing this. It's like, hey, you know, you kind of name name our podcast. I'm an art unorthodox Middle Easterner. Mm -hmm. I don't I didn't belong there. 
And that's what we want to expose to the board. That's why we want to talk about our personal experience mm-hmm. coming from there and, and move away from the media, move away from the stereotypes and tell true stories of the people who live have the first-hand experience of living mm-hmm. there. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I would say there is like two aspects. The first of all is I felt I was alone. I felt I, I wasn't able to connect with a lot of people who thought uh, differently like myself until recently. And uh, it's just like putting this out, the Unorthodox Middle Eastern podcast out for uh, Middle Easterns who feel they are alone. They feel they are different. They feel they are not part of the mainstream. Uh, they feel they are unorthodox. So we'll be like, this is what who you are. People are different. People have different experiences, different backgrounds. We were like yourself. Listen to us and yes. welcome to the club. Just join us. And <laughs> yes, you're not yes, alone. <laughs> absolutely. And the second reason would be uh, informing uh, people around us, our friends, our American uh, neighbors, our coworkers uh, about uh, what is going on in the Middle East from a different perspective that is not from the mainstream media, especially like we've been on the news for the last 40 years. And a lot of people are curious about what's going on. What are the problems there? And that would be also great for us to talk about ourselves in a different way that maybe most of them, they've never heard about it. Yeah. And there's definitely a problem there. Like nobody wants to deny it. I like to share the stats that is is um, from 2016 United Nations Arab Human Development. And it talks about uh, the MENA region, the Middle East and North Africa. And it says that even though they only make 5% of the world's population, mm-hmm. they, they, may, they, they are responsible for 45% of uh, terrorist mm-hmm. attacks, make 58% of world's refugees and 69% of world's ba- um, battle-related deaths happen there. So there's a lot going on there. There's there's some stuff wrong with there, which we're probably going to talk mm-hmm. about more. And it, it's worth paying attention and it's definitely um, worth sharing more about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you said, there is a problem that needs to be addressed. We are not an, we are not experts. And I think that's what makes our uh, podcast unique is we are talking about our experiences, about our perspective uh, throughout living in the Middle East and through uh, mo- migrating to America and being the kind of the bridge between the two sides. And I think for us, it was an aha moment for both of us when we realized that it was the time for something unpopular and something out of the box and was a time to speak on behalf of unorthodox Middle Eastern like ourselves, whom you, we people don't hear uh, their opinions and experiences often. Yes. So next episode, we're going to talk about regime change, something a lot of people might have um, conflicting opinions about. And I think it's the popular things considering uh, the history of, of Middle East and the U.S. So tune yes. in. And thank you so much for listening to us. And we will be back soon.